0: How's everyone doing today? I'm glad. I'm glad. Glad you're here. Where was Kevin? I saw Kevin. Where'd he go? Hopefully he comes back. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. Okay. So let me begin with asking the question. If I were to ask you to take an inventory of some of your biggest character flaws, what would they be? (laughs) I'm pretty sure we would get a lot of different responses, right? But what if I told you that those flaws are consistent with a personality type and that we can find out what that personality type was by taking different personality tests. Right? And through those tests, we might actually even be able to find what your go-to sin is. Right? All through personality typing. On a certain personality type uh, system called the Enneagram, um, which I've taken, there's nine different categories that help to map out your personalities. Now, I happen to be a five, which on the Enneagram is an investigator. And what an investigator is, Fives, what they love to do is they love to accumulate for themselves knowledge and facts, right? And so these are the folks that you probably see on their phone quite a bit of time on Google or Wikipedia or whatever. So what happens often is that when I'm watching a movie with my wife and I tend to look down on, the, like, at my phone, my wife already knows what's up. I am usually Googling something in the movie or some kind of fact or article, something of that nature. It's what we fives love to do, but also it tells us that in our darkest moments, fives tend to withhold love and affection from people, and so while we love to accumulate knowledge uh, in terms of the thing that we we fear the most, being hurt or feeling incompetent, what we tend to do is is withdraw and withhold uh, our affections. And what's interesting is that that has been true of me for as long as I can remember. So what am I getting at? Am I getting at personality types or, or whatever? Uh, today we're finishing our last in a series called uh, Wisdom for Tense Times, uh, Social Wisdom for Tense Times, and we've been going through the book of Proverbs. So we've been kind of piecing together different proverbs, and while a personality typing system is, is, is effective... For symptomizing what we struggle with or what we are good at, uh, our character strengths and our weaknesses. What I want to see is what I want to show you this morning is that there's something more to that, and there's something that doesn't get to what's the root cause of where we're at. I can't I, I can't through a personality typing system understand why I am the way I am. It just you nearly know, symptomizes it. But what I hope to show us through Proverbs is that while those things have their place, scripture can teach us a little bit more. This is a process known as self-awareness. During, in the self-awareness, what happens is you start to be more cognizant or you're, you're, you're able to acknowledge your character, your, your emotions, your motives, uh, what your strengths and what your weaknesses are. It's all a part of self-awareness. And this is a part of our our last bit in terms of social wisdom. So this self-awareness or lack thereof in certain times can make things interesting. And we never really see our lack of self-awareness more evident than probably in our workplace, if we think about it. For instance, if I were to ask some of the folks that you work with on your job, What would they, how would they describe you, right? What, what is so-and-so like? What is, what is Linda like on her job? What is, what is JD like? What is Amani what is like on her job? What would they say? What do, you, what do you think that they would say? Do you find yourself kind of defensive at times on your job? Do you find yourself at times passive aggressive, not wanting to be confronted or confronting others and yet still trying to make a statement? Do you find yourself making excuses about why something get, didn't get done or, or something that uh, failed to happen? Or do you ever feel the need to just do it yourself because it's best that you do it and because if you do it, you'll know that it gets done. And so what ha- ends up happening is you, you micromanage a lot. What would people say about you? Would you be a micromanager? Would you be someone who makes excuses? Would you be the most pleasant person in all the world to work with? My guess is that we all have certain things that we struggle with. And these and other scenarios, they kind of bring about our own lack of self-awareness, right? But, again, as I pointed to early, I think the scriptures can speak better to that than, say, a personality typing system or just merely questions I were to ask. And, again, while that would all be helpful, I think when we look at proverbial wisdom, it would suggest that there are a few truths that we can follow that help us in this process of becoming more aware of what's going on the inside, what makes us tick. And it's not merely for the sake of being a better employee or a better employer or even a better student or a sibling or a son uh, or a daughter or even a parent. But we'll begin our discovery in self-awareness by looking at what it is that makes us tick. And we'll look at that from a community approach and also uh, an approach that is more solitary, I should say. Something that's meant alone or to be found out alone. Um, So first I want to point out that community can be a very helpful thing in developing our own self-awareness. So long as uh, he or she can be spoken to. You know how you always have that one person that you can kind of share uh, some advice or give counsel to and you just know they're not going to listen to it? Uh, It's kind of like that person that always has something to say or just brushes it off or just will continue as if this uh, awkward conversation never happened. And you always have that one person. It's either on your job. You may even have that person in your family. Um, But you just can't tell them anything. They, They don't listen. It's like Telling a two-year-old they would be more like Jesus if they would just stop wetting themselves. They're not going to listen to you, right? It's just not going to happen. But anyways, Proverbs uh, has something to say about those who can't take advice. Uh, Proverbs twenty-six, twelve, 12, and, and throughout the book of Proverbs, you kind of see this uh, as a, a similar pattern. It says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. See, with the fool, at least there's hope that maybe he can change. But for someone who will take someone's advice and not listen to it at all, just continue on their path, it's almost as though that pride will be the end of him, and there's no hope for him at all. On the contrary, for the person who can receive feedback, then that's actually a source of wisdom, because he can learn from his flaws and his mistakes, he or she, and become more self-aware of what they're doing and possibly why they're doing it. Now, you may not agree with everything that someone might say to you and what advice or counsel they may give you, but at the very least, what proverbial wisdom would suggest is that we should hear them out. They can see things that you can't see. In community, the beauty of that is that you always have people that may be able to point out something that beforehand was seemingly non-apparent to you. I remember uh, my wife and I one time we were painting a rocking chair. Uh, we have two rocking chairs on our porch, and we both sat on each side of the rocking chair. There's many different facets and crevices to this rocking chair, and obviously moving parts because it's rocking. And so as we painted on each side, what was interesting is that as we moved uh, the rocking chair just a little bit, I was able to see that there were spots that she missed. And as we moved a little further, there were were spots that I missed that she was able to see. And we were able to kind of see this interesting pattern that as we moved this rocking chair a little bit more forward and a little bit more backward, the same thing happened. She was able to point out my blind spots, and I was able to point out her blind spots, and together we were able to paint the chair. Self-awareness in community is a lot like that. It's being able to point out our blind spots, and to be able to ask, or to, to be able to help those uh, who can't see, right, and to be able to offer that counsel and that wisdom. A bunch of Proverbs that go throughout the book of Proverbs kind of details that. For the arrogance, in Proverbs 13:10, it says, arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And probably the last one that kind of details that and and, and encapsulates uh, what we're talking about is Proverbs 19.20, which says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction, so that you may be wise later in life. That as you continue to receive feedback in your own life, it, ach- it actually makes you more wise. And that because of that, if you were just on your own, you wouldn't gain that wisdom or that knowledge because of those, those blind spots. So whether they be plans or just general instruction, what Proverbs has for us is that it helps to have multiple eyes on you and how you're doing uh, in whatever area of life it is. It could just be, It could be your spiritual life. It could be your job. It could be whatever. Um, but that they can speak to that and may be able to see those blind spots. And if you feel as though you have a lack of self-awareness, then I have a tip for you this morning. Wherever you're trying to grow, wherever you feel like you're weak or you're just not aware of, of what you do uh, that may indirectly affect other people, I have a little exercise. So, It's a simple question you can ask somebody else. It's an open-ended question, and and really, if you're open to it, you can hear what others have to say. And this could be people that know you, work with you. It It could be your spouse. It could be your significant other. It could be a friend. But you could ask the question, how can I be a better blank, fill in the blank, whatever that is, worker, employer, staff, Instructor, spouse, how can I be a better blank to you? And then you can follow that up with, what should I be more aware of in order to grow as a blank? Worker, right? Sibling, friend. And here's the thing. If you can hear what the other person has to say without coming back with an excuse or qualifying that statement with something, then chances are you're closer to wisdom than you might realize. Because what happens is we need to clarify ourselves sometimes or qualify those statements with something. Maybe they didn't get the whole thing, but if we're, if we're willing to just listen to what they're able to say, what Proverbs suggests is that we're well on our way to becoming more aware of our own strengths and weaknesses than maybe we think. And all of these characteristics uh, that we mentioned earlier, um, they do, in a sense, they, they concern us in the working place, whether we realize it or not. Right? We're talking about social wisdom, and so more times than likely, what we don't talk about in church is is how that affects us on our job. right? And we all have these certain characteristic or character flaws that we may not be aware of. And so those character flaws many times point to insecurities that we have. Take the micromanager, for instance, the person that feels the need to be, have his hands in everything, right? It's basically this idea that I, I believe that I can do it better than somebody else can do it. But what that breeds in the job, in the workplace, is that I, the other person or the other staff feel like they cannot be trusted, that their work is not good enough. As opposed to developing them along in their work, knowing that it may not be to your requirements or to the way that you do it, but still getting done. And if you think about it, where, where does that come from? Where does that lack of trust or that feeling to, to dive in with everything, where does that come from? If it's patterns of behavior like this, more often than not, it, it comes from this feeling or this need to control, Right? To have everything in order, in order for you to get along, and for you to be at peace, or for you to find comfort. It's, a, it, it's in a sense, a defense mechanism. In order for you not to have chaos, because maybe for those that do struggle with uh, micromanaging, uh, or this lack of trust, this hoarding of control, what, what it can mean for you is, is that, in a sense, you fear of being out of control. And that when everything is in order and in its place, life is as it should be. And it kind of creates, our micromanaging ways create this false sense of security for us. Um, And it also hides um, those insecurities. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says that the purpose of a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. So wisdom, in a sense, says that those that have understanding will draw out some of those things. Why do I feel like this? Why the need to control? Why this micromanaging that other people say that I do? What's up with that? Well, that proverb suggests that like someone who goes to a well to draw out water, sometimes you have to dig deep. Sometimes you have to go deep. And in a sense, that's what our hearts are. Our hearts are wells. And many times, you're not going to get something just by digging up or looking on the surface of something. And this is where a personality type uh, test may be helpful, but it's not going to get to the root of the issue. And so all of these different things have their place. But our hearts sometimes um, require a lot more searching. And while community may be great, uh, in terms of figuring out our blind spots, there's other things that we still may not be aware of. Sometimes our intentions or our motivations um, can be discovered, but oftentimes they go hidden. Sometimes it takes something a lot deeper. For others of you, you may feel like you're in community a lot and you're not just, you're not getting anywhere. These areas that you know, that first question that I asked you in terms of your growth, you know that there's something lacking, you, may not, y- you know that there's something that we need to grow in our awareness of, but you're in community all the time and this is not helping you. Right? Y- you're constantly in the presence of others and yet you still feel as though there is a lack of self-awareness, that you may not just be growing in certain areas. And it could be that you're still not in touch with those feelings or those motivations because in some sense what we tend to do, especially if we're extroverted, we can use community as a distraction. We can use being in the presence of others to distract us from what's really going on inside. If you've ever been through something in life that's just hit you so hard and you tend to be maybe on the more extroverted side. What tends to happen is you almost revert, like you revert back to community. That becomes your safe space. And you fear being alone. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, he's speaking about community uh, in this sense, but he also uh, take, he took time out to realize uh, the adverse effects. He says, many people seek fellowship because they're afraid to be alone. Because they cannot stand loneliness, they are driven to seek the company of other people. And he goes on further to say, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Almost as though community, while it can be great in figuring out our blind spots, it it can also be a distraction. And so therefore, a deterrence from us actually getting to where we need to be. And it hinders us from our own self-awareness. others oftentimes see what we don't see, right? And I've used uh, times spent with others in community, especially after being hurt, as a type of distraction, right? And so sometimes something will come up, and especially in conversation, and you'll know this. If you are one who has community, but is still feeling as though there's areas of their life that they continue to struggle with, Here's what may happen in those conversations, right, or when you're in community. A lot of times those conversations don't really go anywhere. I know in my own personal life, having been hurt sometimes, in order for me to just not deal with it, when someone were to ask me what's going on, I just build a wall, and I have a wall up, and I don't really I don't really share. I don't let really let people in, because what probably happened before was that I have been hurt by being vulnerable and them using that weakness against me. And so, what then happens is, in order for me to protect myself, my guard is already up. My wall is already up. And so, if anyone were to ask me, I'll keep it very shallow surface level. In our community, h- how many of our conversations are pretty surface level? We talk about things, we talk about what goes on in the world, but we don't really talk about what's going on on the inside, right? Does anybody ever really get to know the real you? Like really what makes you tick? Have you always put on a mask in terms of other people performing the way that everybody else does in this community? Do you avoid those hard conversations that cause you to really look inside? And are you that type of person who, even when you're in community, with in the midst of other people, you find that you're there, but you're not really present, right? Like you're, you're, you're there, and you're a part of this group, but you oftentimes find yourself disconnected. Like you are, you are alone in the midst of other people, that you're not fully present. See, what happens is we often hide behind community to mask our own hurts, and this creates individuals who are just that, individuals that aren't really present, that aren't really trying to serve and love one another, that aren't really trying to uh, really step across uh, the, uh, the room, if you will, and get to know somebody else, especially somebody that's new in the community, right? If it's not community that we cling to, we use it as a distraction. Uh, we use other things as a, as a distraction. So even if we're alone, What else kind of deters us or distracts us from really figuring out what's wrong with us? Pick your poison, whether we have Netflix or social media, uh, browsing the internet, TV, uh, it's all there to keep us from really seeking and looking inside and taking that time out. For me, as maybe with some of you, early on in my Christian walk, it was actually Christian service, serving as a Christian. In order for me to feel like I was validated in order for me to deal with certain hurts I would just serve in the church and because I came to faith later on in my life my thinking was that I need to serve in order to make up for the years that I wasn't serving God and so I just ca- came into this perpetual cycle and all it did was mask some of the stuff that was going on and so Christian service while, while it can be a good thing serving in your church serving in, commu- in, in your community for me it was actually keeping me from the issues in my own heart. And I wonder if that it may be true of some of us. That we serve and we come on Sunday mornings looking to serve and, and, and really enjoying the service. But sometimes we know that in those alone spaces, there's things that we don't want to address. And we try to hide with what we do on Sunday mornings. And we look to that to validate us. We like to get busy. And as we get busy, we tend to forget what's really going on in the world. It's our form of detaching ourselves. So whether it be social media or even something like service, we all have these distractions. Why? Why do we distract ourselves? Why do we distract ourselves with community? Even in our solitude, why do we do that? We distract ourselves because oftentimes we we don't want to confront what's really there because that might mean going to a place that that it's going to hurt and and it's going to bring about some things about us that we don't like. Proverbs 20 verse 5, as I said, the, the purpose of a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. The difference is the man of understanding, instead of finding these distractions and clinging to them, he will actually work diligently to seek that out. And this is when solitude actually really provides help for us. And that's because those hard places, uh, it, it becomes a place of solitude. It becomes a place where we can actually feel realize who we really are. But in other places, solitude is... It's just noise for many of us, especially if you're extroverted. If you're extroverted, sometimes solitude can just be a bunch of noise. But it can be beneficial when we approach this with uh, this idea that in order to become self-aware, in order for us to see what's really going on, solitude is key. Uh, Some of the desert fathers in Christian history, third century, uh, like St. Anthony, they did a really good job of seeking out solitude. And they actually put practices together in place where what they did was, in their, uh, th- their solitude, they would really figure out what is really going on within our lives. And they really con- co- contributed in terms of church history towards our own growth, our own spiritual growth, by being, being able to identify those places that were weak uh, and, and repenting of that and coming to, to God for that. But if you're like me, you'll know that there's times that life hits you so hard. And life can hit you so hard that if you're you're like me, maybe you're not, but if you're like me, you'd know that sometimes you can't even explain what's going on in the inside. No amount of solitude can do it. No amount of community can help you. It's almost like, if you can imagine, going through a fog. You can't see in front of you. You can't see behind you. You're just walking in it. And it's only when you get past it that you can see it. But when you're in it, all it seems like is a fog. And this self-awareness can go out the window. You do not even think about self-awareness. You're just trying to breathe. If you've ever been in those times... You'll know that there's no personality type that can do it, right? All they can do is bring up symptoms, but they can't get to the root of the issue, and they certainly can't find the cure for your struggles. I remember um, when I was younger, I wasn't married yet, I was a bachelor, uh, but usually after a hard time, it, it could be after a breakup, that I always tended to cling to music. Music for me was not just a soundtrack of my life, but it also helped to point to different things that I just felt like were out of touch with the Christian community. Like I would listen to some songs, and they would resonate so deeply with the human experience. It almost seemed like music, or these artists per se, these secular artists, they're not Christian, were actually more in touch with the human experience than than even, dare I say, the Bible. And so I would start to listen to that, and I would start to really find some kind of comfort there. And so I don't want to date myself, but but you know those songs that you've gone through, that that have helped you go through certain things, right? So I can remember uh, some Drake quotes and some lyrics. I can remember something from Trey songs. I remember Usher's "Let It Burn." Um, all these different things that that really resonate deeply with the human experience. And then I start to listen closer. And they all offered some kind of wisdom, some kind of advice. They didn't just want to connect, they wanted to give you hope. And as I listened to them, what I found is that the consensus was, man, we're not really sure what to do. And so while it was good at relating to the human experience, it couldn't really give me a cure. It was almost as though the consensus amongst all these voices that I was listening to is that we're we're not really sure what to do, but we've gone through the same thing, which all points to the fact that we all, as as humans, go through similar experiences. But they can't provide that cure. And other religions point to this idea of wisdom coming from within, right? They they all say something of of, of similar notion where if you look inside of you, if you just follow your heart, tell me you've heard that, right, that you'll, you'll be all right, that you'll find your path, you'll find your way. But as I've just described, there's sometimes we don't even know what's going on, right? And it just seems that even with these artists as Closely resembled, as they closely resembled what was going on with my human experience, they couldn't really cure the ills of the human heart. I can think of uh, Buddha who taught his closest followers, even towards the end of his life, that you must be your own lamps. Be your own truth as a lamp. And in a sense, what he's saying is that you, you have to find the way. You, you have to find your own truth. Truth comes from within. And so if you just tap in and dig deep enough, you'll find it. But I know for myself that cannot be the human experience because I know that my heart has lied to me more times than anybody else has. And if that's the case, then how can I actually really trust my own heart we can end up there's there's studies out there that show that we can end up believing a lie that we ourselves create and become uh, a part or a facade of this false deception and we believe that we believe that so wholeheartedly even to the grave our hearts can be darkened and especially when we're going through hurt there are times that we just do not have the answers and in those times where do we go to? Where can, I, where can I take my heart? Where can I take all of those experiences? Who can know my heart? God can. God can know my heart way better than I can or anybody else. John Calvin, one of the reformers, said this. Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts no, knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. If God created us in all of our complexity and all of our multiple opinions, all those voices that we hear, then in a sense it, it reveals something about God. Because what those multiple voices, what all of those things tend to do, is that at the very end of that, they bring us to the end of ourselves. And when we're trying to search what is really going on from within, it points us right back to God himself. It reveals a God who desires to be in relationship with us. That we, in fact, in order to need, in order to, need to know ourselves, we need to know God. Proverbs tells us, again, in uh, chapter 21, verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart, and in that, you kind of get this picture that the Lord is kind of like weighing your, your heart on a scale, and he's, uh, he's assessing it. He's, he's measuring it out, uh, almost like it's a piece of beef, and he was a USDA inspector, right, and he's trying to see and, and look at all the different ways of the inward parts of us, all of our motivations to see things that can be manipulative, Things that can be uh, rooted in anger. Things that are rooted in jealousy, fear. The Lord does all of that, even further than we can. And then he adds his level of conviction to let us know that there is something better than the way that we're living our life. So how? How can we take this to God? if God is truly the one that can tell us about our human experiences and tell us that he is the one that we need to be seeking after in order to know us, how do we take all of the stuff of life to God? Well, if you look at the Psalms of David, which you'll find is something quite fascinating. I've shared this before, but, but David is so very real when he confronts God on certain things, Right? One psalm it'll be Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. And then the next psalm or the, the next Psalm would be, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And you see this roller coaster wave of emotions in terms of coming to God. And I feel that's as though we need to that's how we need to approach God. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. You might have heard this, but David writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. See, these could be short breath prayers that we give to God. Prayers that we pray throughout the day that's just a breath when we don't know what's going on, when we're not even aware of our own emotions. Those are things that we can take to God and ask him, Lord, search me, know me. What is really going on? here on the inside. The Puritans were, were good at that. They were good at this really adamant self-examination that they did throughout the day. And they had very rigorous disciplines in order to do that. And when community wasn't the key for them, in order to point out their flaws, then they then they reverted to solitude. And then when that brought unclear results, then They took it to prayer. But for many of us, we we even see prayer as something that we avoid. And we refer back to distractions. And why? These distractions, again, like I said, they keep us from who we really are. Our distractions keep us from The deepest, darkest parts of us that we don't want, not just anybody else to know, we don't want to know ourselves. And so we live in this deception of thinking that we're better than we are. And if you think about pop psychology, and we think about all the voices that are so loud out in the world, right? About, like, there's really good in you. At the core of our being, we're really good people. All we just need to do is tap inside and really uh, untap our potential, if you will. And that's when we'll be the truest, perso- uh, the truest versions of ourselves, the best persons of ourselves. When really, what other people are trying to do is to get you to buy their book, really. <laughs> but what happens within that is that when we really look deep inside, we'll find that those deepest, darkest parts of us are so true of us. And what the Christian faith does better than anything else is tell us the truest version of us. Throughout the scriptures, what it does is help to display that human or humanity, us as individuals and us collectively, we're pretty jacked up. And at the root of it all is rebellion. We've rebelled against God and his ways. And because of that, we've lived in deception. And it's kept us from our own awareness of what's really going on at the heart level no other story no other narrative in all the world can really detail the darkest and the deepest parts of us rather or better than the Christian story pop singers and modern day philosophers they can they can really drum up a good beat and they can really tell our story and they can really relate to the human experience but they can't they they can't Uh, offer the cure for that. While they can relate, they can't offer the cure. And they can't offer a hope that is better than anything else, any song written of uh, that we can conjure up. Our search to know ourselves brings us ultimately to God and to His Son who makes knowing God even possible. To know that When we were at our worst, God's love was on full display. That when our deepest, darkest parts of us took over, that that's when Christ died. For that moment and a thousand more like it, that's when Jesus died. And for the broken and the hurting, when we don't even know why we do what we do, that's the best kind of news that we can have. Tim Keller writes this, to be known but not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, that is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, it humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and it fortifies us from any difficulty life can throw at us. So it's bigger than just self-awareness. When we're freed up To know that we can bring all of our stuff to God, that he knows what's going on on the inside, and he loves us through that. He makes us new. See, when Jesus died for our sins, he was making the world new. When he resurrected from the dead three days later, he proved that he can defeat death and sin forever. And when he does that, the same spirit that brought Christ to life now lives inside of us. When we believe in Jesus, when we repent of our sins, that spirit now makes our hearts new. That is the cure. Not lyrics, right? Not, not, not books, not self-help books, and not popular psychology. It's Jesus working through the power of his spirit. That's what makes hearts new. And so it's much bigger than just self-awareness. Our own self-awareness should drive us to God. And as we get to know God, we know who we are fully. And then as our hearts are made new, now it frees us up to love other people. To be the type of people that we need to be in the workplaces, in the neighborhoods, in our own homes, in our classrooms. We become the Jesus that people need to see those people whose hearts are made new. I love this quote by this uh, Puritan in this book of prayer. It says, Searcher of hearts, it is a good day to me when thou givest a glimpse of myself. Sin is my greatest evil, but thou art my greatest good. When we see God as our greatest good and we come to him with all of our stuff and we're made new, that's when not only is self-awareness on full display in our own lives, but a renewed life, a regenerated life, a life being lived out in Christ can take place. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for proverbial wisdom, but I thank you for your son, Jesus, who proves to us that nothing in all the world can cure our human condition That many can speak to it, and they can resonate, and they can be relevant to to what's going on, but they cannot provide the cure. Not like Jesus. Jesus, you are our soul's desire and our satisfaction. Help us by your Spirit. Not run to these distractions. Not run to different things that keep us wearing this mask, but help us to take it off so that we can be our true selves who you created us to be redeemed in Christ-like.